All right, let's go. Time's a wasting. We gotta record again. So soon after the last one? <laughs> I'm still editing it. That's fine. We just got a front load. We only have a few days until vacation. Oh, that's right. We gotta record, pack, write up instructions for the house sitters. Gosh, the pod is really becoming a lot of work, huh? You think we could maybe skimp on this one a little? You must also come with me on a whirlwind trip into the very near future. What the heck? Who are you? Oh, wait. Could it be? I've always heard rumors about... That's correct. It is I, the spirit of podcasting, embodied when the first podcast was created. Wait, what was the first podcast? It was trash. You honestly don't want to hear it. Really? S sounds like an interesting fact to me. It was just two cishet white dudes in 2005. Ooh, yeah, okay, pass. Without further delay, I must show you the future. Here is the recording studio for ComPod, a comics podcast of the near future. They cannot see or hear us. We are simply here to observe. What's up, nerdos? It's time for ComPod, the finest comics podcast in all the land. Brought to you by Crap Mats, your home for mattresses for nerds. I'm Gare Bear. What the heck is a mattress for nerds? And I'm the Goob, and we've got a banger of an episode for you today. After roughly two ads and 30 minutes of banal, uninteresting conversation, we're going to do what we always do. And what's that, Goobster? We're going to be reading word for word and verbatim the finest comics clickbait articles and frankly offensive listicles that the internet has to provide. Today, we're going to be reading an article with the title, How the Island Setting of One Scene of the New Doctor Strange Movie certainly points towards bringing Krakoa into the MCU, and we're going to say it like it's fact, and follow it up with five times we thought Emma Frost looked really hot. Oh, yuck. Gonna be a banger of a show, Gubenstein, but first let's read an ad for Leet Feet, your only home for socks made exclusively for geeks. This I have shown you, the future of comics podcasting if you cease to do your good work. No discussion, merely recitation of facts churning through the meat grinder of clickability. Now in oral form. Gross. Take us away, spirit. We don't want to see anymore. Heed this warning, Chris's. Hee Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I guess we gotta still do our best, huh? For the future. We won't let you down, Spirit of Podcasting. We'll be here to talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our episode covering the DC event, Kingdom Come. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, I feel like I say that a lot. I'm sure everybody's like, oh, he's going to yeah, say it. Yeah, you know, you know, the episode that we start off where Chris is like, 
This was uninteresting, you know, kind of vague, unimportant. <laughs> this was boring. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about when I was when I was writing the cold open, I was thinking about how I I had a a very early podcast in 06 and it was horribly uninteresting. It was literally just like like dudes talking about dude stuff. And a lot of them are still that. But like imagine like that but filtered through mid 2000s energy. Yeah, I was not even aware of the existence of podcasts. I know if I would have kept with it it could have been like a real thing. And don't anybody try looking for it. I've scrubbed it from the internet. It is gone. It is no longer <laughs> present. I've looked. It's gone. Don't even try to find it. I mean, they could find you on other older podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. The, the oldest podcast that I, I, I have credits on still that you can actually find my name is the, when I was a narrator for the second season of the No Sleep podcast. So if you're going to go digging, you're probably just going to find that and be really excited. So um, maybe do do that. <laughs> I don't even know if I used my full name on the the one we made in like 06, but it was it was very much like a like we just started college and we found microphones. We didn't even edit it. We literally just like posted the whole thing. Oh. I know it was awful. Ooh. So bad. Mm. Yep. Mm. Oh gosh. I know. All right. Uh gives so- you the heebies to think about. Just like a world where superheroes just fight each other for the fun of it. Whoa, what a segue. Love that segue. Uh-huh. All right. Are we ready to continue that segue (laughs) into our summary? Summary. Kingdom Come, written by Mark Wade, art by Alex Ross, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Bob Cahan. Issue 1. In the somewhat distant future, very elderly Wesley Dodds, the Sandman, talks about apocalyptic dreams with his pastor, Norman McKay, before dying of old age. Norman thinks on Wesley while accidentally giving a fire-and-brimstone-style sermon at his church before apologizing. You see, the heroes of old, the Justice League, etc., are mostly gone, having been replaced by younger, less moral heroes who seem to just be interested in breaking out in fights rather than helping people. After his sermon, the specter appears to Norman, and in true DC fashion, it's time to have a ghost journey across the world to see just what went wrong. First, they see a semi-aged Clark Kent working on a Kansas farm, before he is visited by Wonder Woman, who tries to convince him to come back and help the world, as the older heroes are known to follow his lead. It also is revealed that the farm is a mere hologram and Clark is just hanging out at the North Pole. Also, he prefers Cal now, feeling distant from humanity. They watch footage of a superhero fight in Kansas, led by the newer, more brutal hero known as Magog. In this fight, a cornered parasite rips open Captain Atom, which unleashes a nuclear explosion taking out Kansas and irradiating the Great Plains. Superman tells Diana to leave and go back to her island because he's not going to help. An incident in the past involving Magog caused Superman to abandon his quest for truth and justice and the like, and when he left, many of the other heroes withdrew. Flash now exists at high speed, patrolling Keystone City in virtual secret. Hawkman defends the forests of the Pacific Northwest. Green Lantern hangs out in orbit in a giant emerald satellite, and Batman has robots patrol Gotham City, and they're very scary. 
Spectre and Norman hang out on a big bridge, and Norman is like, why the heck did you show me that? It was a giant bummer, as a fight breaks out between new heroes and villains on said bridge. As Norman despairs about the never-ending battle, he proclaims to the Spectre that they need hope. And just like that, the fighting is halted and all the people are saved by a red and blue blur, coalescing into Superman. Issue 2. Norman sees another vision of seven angels in a torch of flame, and guided by these visions, the Spectre takes them to the Statue of Liberty, where a racist metahuman called Americommando targets immigrants, and such actions are opposed by other useless heroes. This fight is halted by the newly formed Justice League, a group of former heroes led by Superman. After quickly stopping the conflict, they head to the front of the UN for a press conference. Superman proclaims that they are here to restore order and make things right again. The powers that be, governmental at least, are skeptical of this as well as Batman. Superman visits him in the Batcave to try to convince him to join their Justice League, but the aged, back-broken old man argues with Superman instead. They seem to both think that each other are totalitarian, and it goes nowhere. However, after Superman leaves, Black Canary and Green Arrow show up, as they don't trust these superhuman schemes. And neither does Lex Luthor, who's formed a group called the Mankind Liberation Front, to also deal with the superhumans by ratcheting up tension. Luthor sees a way to to use Superman's new aims to his advantage and reveals his own anti-Superman weapon, Captain Marvel, under his sway. Superman arrives at a metahuman bar and wrecks the place, offering for those in there to join his league. But after he leaves, Green Arrow shows up to make his own pitch. Superman tries to convince Aquaman to join them, but the King of Atlantis has more important things to do. And finally, Superman confronts Magog, and we get some backstory. In the past, the Joker killed tons of people at the Daily Planet, including Lois Lane. Magog killed the Joker in response and was acquitted by a judge of his crimes. In response to what he saw as a miscarriage of justice, Superman fled. Anyway, back at the present, Magog is trying to single-handedly fix his mistake in Kansas. But as he sees Superman, he blasts him with a beam of energy before surrendering to Superman for his crimes. Superman visits Apocalypse, where Orion is now in charge. Orion offers to take the captive metahumans, but Superman declines, having sought wisdom instead from Orion, only not to find it. Instead, Superman teams up with Miracle Man and Big Barda, who help work on a massive stronghold for re-education. And as this gulag is constructed, Batman and his group team up with the Mankind Liberation Front. Issue 3. It's vision time again as Norman sees Captain Marvel being struck by lightning, but then it's time to ghost visit the gulag in Kansas, which is already overcrowded due to dissenters, superheroes, and villains who didn't want to join Superman. They mock Superman's attempts at re-education, while guards like Captain Comet deal with some of the more violent folks. Meanwhile, Luther has a mole inside the gulag and is able to spy on the rising tensions. Spectre and Norman then get a glimpse at the quintessence, which is some of the universe's most powerful beings, as they have a discussion about the now misguided Captain Marvel, and Norman has a little chat with a now skeletal dead man. Green Lantern's Emerald Palace is now the Justice League headquarters, and outside Wonder Woman and Superman sit and discuss how Diana was kicked out of Paradise Island for failing to keep peace. Then it's time to zip over to Luther's place, where we find out he is psychologically torturing Billy Batson with image of his friends dying, while also using, like, 
brain worms to keep him in check? It's bad. Batman pledges some superhumans to help the Mankind Liberation Front, but also speaks psychically with a disguised Martian Manhunter about what he sensed. But poor John's powers don't quite work the way they used to. Back at the satellite, the Flash somehow detects Norman and yanks him out of the spirit realm, and the Justice League demands to know why he's there. He tries to warn Superman about a great calamity, but the Gulag is suddenly having a big riot. As this happens, Bruce Wayne and his crew strike, taking out all of the Mankind Liberation folks and capturing Luther. Bruce tries to talk to Billy, realizing what Luther's done to him, but Batson finally calls the name of Shazam in a panic and flies off. Wonder Woman preps for battle, with plans to make the prisoners surrender or else. Superman doesn't like this line of thinking, but he is unable to talk Diana out of it, and she kisses him and leaves. Superman heads to the Batcave to try to get through to Bruce again, but Batman tells him Captain Marvel is on his way to the Gulag, but doesn't say anything else. Superman races to the prison, but Captain Marvel reaches it and bursts the dome with lightning, freeing the prisoners and making for a battle royale between prisoners and Justice League. Captain Marvel knocks Superman to the ground, and it's time for a fight. Issue 4. As the superheroes fight brutally, Norman asks the Spectre to stop everything, but the Spirit of Vengeance says there must be a reckoning. Fearing greater destruction, the UN Secretary General orders a nuclear payload to be dropped on the Gulag. Batman and his crew arrive to try to halt the aggression, but really just end up adding to it as Wonder Woman kills one of the incarcerated metahumans. Batman yells at her about the real reason she was kicked off Paradise Island, for not being militant enough in her mission. She angrily flies into the sky with him in time to see the nuclear payload planes. She decides to cease their fighting and Batman and Wonder Woman take out all but one plane. Shazam hits Superman with lightning bolt after lightning bolt before Superman grabs and pushes Captain Marvel into one of the bolts, reverting him to Billy Batson. Superman grabs his mouth to keep him from saying the words and notices the final bomb dropping. Spectre tells Norman it's time for the final judgment. Either superheroes die here or consume the world with their violence, and Norman must be the one to choose, somehow. At the same time, Superman tells Billy that as a human and a superhuman, he must be the one to choose. Superman flies off to stop the bomb, telling Billy he can stop him if he wants, but Billy turns into Captain Marvel and blows up the bomb in midair, which still consumes the metahumans, killing all but a few. Superman flies to the UN in a rage, preparing to enact terrible vengeance, but Norman appears and confronts him, reminding him that his ability to know right and wrong, a gift of his humanity, was Superman's greatest power. Wonder Woman and Batman arrive with the survivors, and Superman proclaims that heroes will work with humanity rather than choose for them, and that the metahumans need to choose life rather than between humans and heroes. Batman starts a hospital, Wonder Woman is reinstated at Paradise Island, and Superman attempts to restore Kansas to fertility as Norman preaches hope at his church. One year later, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman meet at a cheesy superhero-themed restaurant, where Superman and Wonder Woman announce they're having a child, and they want Batman to be the godfather, as they want their child to have the influence of a mortal man. They leave together, catching a glimpse at Norman and the Spectre, in his mortal form as Jim Corrigan, talking about what the future holds. Gosh, 
That is a chunky summary, especially in comparison to our last episode of Spider-Man. This is in some ways a, a big opposite. It's these big issues. They're like each 40 pages. Mm-hmm. There's four of them. I almost, in some ways, though, I almost think it's kind of decompressed for 40-page comics. There's there's a lot of scenes that are almost like montage Like, you could mm-hmm. tell Alex Ross really just wanted to draw, like, a bunch of heroes punching each other. Yeah. So, also, before we go a whole lot further, this is strictly written by Mark Wade, but it uh-huh. is probably more appropriate to say that it is scripted by Mark Wade. The idea for this whole storyline as as far as like the the hubbub goes was an alex ross creation oh interesting yes and wade scripted it um, okay because he could do like i the thought was like i guess probably like punchier dialogue and stuff right right so alex ross was like hey this is what happens these are like the story beats. yeah and this has and... happened several times okay you've read the story justice yes it is also that kind of way alex ross just wanted to draw those particular things and got someone to script it I like that. I like that for artists. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I feel like a lot of people, and this is this is this is not fair, but a lot of people I feel like tend to really like place in in an inadvertent amount of the spirit of a comic in its writer, when that's probably like way less true than anybody who doesn't make comics realizes. Even with like ones where it has like a really strong writer's voice, mm-hmm. like we tend to say like, oh, that's a real Hickman comic or something. But right. like, it's always what, at least like maybe like a, like a 40% a Hickman comic and at, at, at like tops. And then like all, cause A, art is always more of a comic than the words. Mm-hmm. And B, more people work on the art than on the writing, usually. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's incredibly fair. And I think that's why I like that idea of the artist having more of the creative control that people recognize, like mm. in the the writing and the actual plot, because it's. I mean, I, in in my head, I always try and translate it to to theater. What that's like, you know, the in theater, yes, you have a you have a script that the that someone has written for the show, mm. but it's brought to life by the director, the actors the scenic designer like there's a whole team of people that actually brings that script to life true Uh, where and whereas like as opposed to you know comics you've got the writer the artist that the artist is the one who brings it all to life in theater like yes you often know who did the 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 script who wrote the book who did the music uh, and those things are recognizable i think you just get a lot more recognition for the other people who bring it all to life. So, I mean, the, mo- the people who usually get the most recognition by the public at large are the actors. Yeah, that's true. Right. And then probably the director. Mm-hmm. And then, and then in movies, you get kind of this like double thing, like, cause I, I feel like people tend to follow directors more with movies than mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I could say like my favorite, like Broadway director right off the, off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, uh, Julie Taymor did some, I, I, I like. I'm sorry, do you mean Spider Man turn off I am the thinking about. I am thinking about the Lion the King. Lion King. Sure. I, I just love that. But she did, did she did do she, the initial direction of it? Like the, the debut? So, yeah, she, like, that, the Lion King is like her baby. She did, mm. like, all the masks, the costuming, like, mm. she did everything. Right. You do wonder, like, in subsequent, in uh, unlike comics, and we're getting off track, but unlike comics and movies, you wonder if every subsequent time it is directed, how much of it is still like carried by the initial direction of it. 
Well, on Broadway, that's the point that is consistent to that initial director's. Like, there is no, after the show's up on Broadway, the director's gone. And, you know, the stage manager's job is to uphold and continue that direction throughout the run of the show. Oh, very interesting. So when you go see something on Broadway, you are seeing how that director directed it and how that's been maintained throughout the run of the show. And that's interesting. mm Mm-hmm. Huh. So then with revivals, it is almost like a new It's a new, a new interpretation. Yeah. Huh. Theater is very different. <laughs> <laughs> theater, the thing that's been around the longest. I don't know. Has theater been around longer than sequential art? You know what? It's whatever. Oh. Mm, I, mm, I'm going to say that those things were probably birthed around similar times. Yeah, like pictures and then pictures followed by pictures were probably both were methods early. of storytelling yeah and like do they they, they pre, there's no way they don't predate history right absolutely there's, there's, there's absolutely no way even like storytelling is a form of theater so mm-hmm. yeah but anyway that there you know like the like auteur theory of comics is it, it's almost like impossible i'd say there's probably some help like early hellboy was written it was it was colored and I think maybe lettered by people that weren't Mike Mignola, mm-hmm. but otherwise he did the art and the writing. Mm. And so to some extent, like he had like a huge effect. That that's like Hellboy and like Usagi Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Usagi Yojimbo is is like the is Stan Sakai joint. It's usually not even colored, so it's like fully his thing. Right. You know, Sunday strips are almost more like auteur comics than like superheroes. Oh, because you know it's one person yeah, usually, it is. Or, or maybe a couple. Mm-hmm. But like Nancy is done by by Olivia James right now. Mm-hmm. She's the she is the person who works on it, presumably an editor. But right, right. And you know, I can't imagine. And no, I I guess I I guess I can imagine that division of of labor and getting a comic out quickly has something to do with that. Um, yeah, I've heard because people- when you have something that you know needs to be like a monthly comic, you get fill in art- artists a lot. Like, there's no way an artist can keep up with mon- monthly comic, like yeah, wi- without a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of discussion regarding that. Like, should the big two move to seasonal models, where even if you have an ongoing, it runs for six months and you chill for a little bit. Other ones run on like an off season. I love that idea. Just to keep like a consistent creative team and thus like a consistent creative vision. Like to, to bring it back to Kingdom Come a little bit, very consistent team. Yeah. Yeah. Was probably, and because of it, the nature, it does not take place in continuity, if that isn't super obvious. Right. It, it could have as much lead time as it wanted, as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. And so it kind of got to be one whole thing. And, you know, for like warts and all, it is, it is like, it is a consistent, full, creative vision right right and i feel like that's has a lot to do with why in superhero comics we really associate and credit the writer with a book because the art team is not consistent on a monthly comic right and that used to be more true um but even things like we don't call it the claremont cockrum burn um smith Mm -hmm. ramita jr like run and people just call it the claremont run because he's the one consistency through the whole thing right and they even like they had a way more consistent monthly schedule and were like able to meet it easier than i think things are now i think there's just maybe more of a an expectation of of like a particular quality of art that just takes longer right right and you know i i 
I'm going to think about this for a long time, and I know it doesn't have a ton to do with Kingdom Come. We've gotten off on a very big <laughs> tangent. We have. But you mentioned that I had read Justice, uh-huh. which is also Alex Ross. Correct. And I, I feel like it's important to note that uh, not only did I read Justice, that was the first thing that I'd ever went into a comic book store, saw, picked out, and purchased. For yourself, yes. For myself. The first uh, thing. And what were you drawn to? The art. Yeah, the art I on the covers, which was also Alex Ross. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, this cover art. These are the heroes that like I knew about it as, as a kid. Like I had very little connection to any Marvel characters or X-Men or anything. Mm-hmm. The characters I had a connection to as a kid were these DC characters who I saw here. And I was like, oh, this is pretty. And I started flipping the pages. I was like, this is comics? Comics can look like this? Right. You probably, and I like that we're slowly bringing it back. I feel like your introduction to a lot of comics was probably just on the walls at Six Flags, as we've mentioned. And that is like, <laughs> almost like 90s house style art. Right. And this felt really different. It um, was. And it, it is like, there's not like, it's not like line art style comics it's very he paints it he paints he, all it's of it. painted yes yeah. it is gorgeous uh for those who have not read a ton of alex ross it is norman rockwell-esque mm-hmm. um to to kind of give it i i it's probably it's probably not as good as norman rockwell but it's also just different and it's probably not fair <laughs> to say it's not as good as that guy one of the best it's not it's not as good as the the that guy the best guy okay i i mean I don't know that we needed the comparison. We probably don't. No. We'll cut that bit. Mm, will I? Will <laughs> I? How close am I paying attention? Christy, how close are you paying attention right now as you're editing? Are you doing lots of other things? Did you cut this out? Let's see. Readers, did I do it? I'm only going to have anxiety about that from now until then. Well, getting into this, this is very much, this was, this was done in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It is so reactionary to 90s comics. Mm-hmm. And that, like, what's some things that we would have read from the 90s? Uh, Hal Jordan turning evil. Right. Lobo, Deadpool, X-Force, Cable. Right. Batman getting his back broken. <laughs> Superman dying and being replaced by four people, one of whom was a rad teen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Readers, Chris, right now is just such a delight to watch. It's one of those moments that you wish podcasting was a visual medium. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving around a lot. It was very much the, the this vision of this comic is the 90s were were this anti-hero age, and it was this moral lawlessness that governed superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Which, to my little brain, when I was little, it felt that way. So I get it. But also, the people who made this are grown-ups. And they are just, they're kind of reacting to it as like a, we need to get back to when there was like a very strong moral fiber to these comic books. Mm-hmm. It is kind of pining for an era which only slightly existed. Like, can you pine for an era where you consider things to be more moral, but also it was the 60s and it had all of the warts of, like, 60s comics? Right, right. You cannot. And the, But this comic is that. I think the more I think about this comic, the more I feel muddled about it. I think it's it's it, overwhelmingly it has like really it, it, some people don't like Alex Ross like I, I like I, I talk to people and they're like yeah he just never caught on to me I do and I think mm-hmm. I always will mm-hmm. but 
I think that's the big draw is, and I think Alex Ross probably came up with a lot of cool costume designs and mm-hmm. just wanted to draw a bunch of them. I doubt that was the whole thing. Clearly he had some like thing here. <laughs> well, I think it really comes down to superheroes approach to justice. Is it punitive or restorative? But it, when, again, when I think about it more, None of what they do is restorative until like the very end. And then we get, it's, it's so unclear. It's like they make a lot of mistakes to get to that conclusion. But the conclusion is we're going to try harder, but there's not like a lot of. We don't see the groundwork of that laid in any sort of. And I think you're supposed to, cause it talks about like Batman starts a hospital. I'm like, congrats. He did one hospital. Um, Wonder Woman is reinstated by the group that apparently kicked her out because she wasn't hard enough. Right. So I'm not sure about that. And then Superman fixes Kansas, but he just gets someone to do it for him and it's like all done. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they reformed the Justice League, but yeah, how is, how is this? paving the way and setting up an infrastructure for people. I mean, they said they were going to work with humans more. Right. So does this mean that... I think the symbolic, the, the symbolism there is bringing in Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, we're all the three of us are together. We got we got the, the one who was raised so far away from humanity. The right. one who is not humanity, but was raised among humanity. It's a lot like... of platitudes with little substance. Yeah, it's a, in, in, kind of like, you know, 1950s and 60s morality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, they were all like comics code comics, and they, there were specifically things such as comics code where, like, you can't show cops being bad, or you can't show anyone ever being gay. You know, like, so, right. like, the era that they pine for is a lie. Right. But there's also, like, I was really trying to find, because there is a, there's a moment early on where Superman comes and finds Batman, and Batman's in, like, a big brace. I always felt like it was supposed to be Batman never recovered from having his back broken by Bane. Yeah. But I don't think it it specifically says that. Oh, really? I don't remember it saying that. No, it, I mean, it's not said, but I just imagine that had to be the case. Right. Well, and then I, th- I feel like these were a very, they, these came out in, in a similar era. Mm. The, Bane breaking Batman's back, mm-hmm. this comic. Um, but Superman is like, help us. We're going to solve the world. And Batman's like, you're totalitarian. And then Superman's like, yeah, but you, you, you're a police state that spies on everyone in your city. You are totalitarian. And I'm like, they're both kind of right here. Right. But like they, 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 they can't see the, and maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is that they are both so wrong, but it just seems like I don't, I feel like there's supposed to be a fundamental conflict and I just don't see it other than just like ego. Mm. I mean, the difference in methods, but I feel like those difference in methods, I think that's part of the message ha- have always existed in a sense. Like, you know, Batman talks about how he's always kind of led through fear. Uh-huh. As opposed to Wonder Woman and Superman leading through trust. Right. Which, you know, I guess I don't think I'd ever thought about it in that that terms. That Well, so do you know about the whole, like, the the thing that, that Batman says is, like, criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot, and I will become, like, a myth and scare them, and yes, father, I will become a bat, or whatever. There's this, that, his whole origin. Mm. The whole suit, or... Criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot is a very, like, big thing. Right, right. So, you know, Batman is just, like, a really scary cop. Um, <laughs> yeah, in some ways. Yeah, so... 
Superheroes as cops is 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 a, is a like, present argument. I feel like we're really getting close to that discussion of man, you know, Batman. If you really wanted to solve some of these oh, criminal no. problems, why doesn't he just give away all his money and solve the clown man putting poison in the water supply? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, there there's almost like the, there's the argument of like, wh- like, why doesn't he kill the Joker? And in this, it's like, yeah, maybe someone should have killed the Joker. And Magog kills the Joker. And then the Joker doesn't kill anybody else after that. It's like it is about like harm reduction See, seems but, like it is it is it is flirted with. But comics can have villains like the Joker that will are are your irredeemable villains. Yeah. Like, that are your larger-than-life comical heroes. Yeah. Uh, I, not heroes. Comical villains. Mm-hmm. Like, Whereas, like, petty crime and theft and bur- like, the things that Batman's robots are taking care of are I, mm-hmm. not, like... It is not necessary for a Batman. Right. Or really, you know, if Batman used the money from building his bat bots. But again, again, it's just, (laughs) but I feel like in a lot of comics that like, it's almost like, okay, like we we're breaking the fiction, but in this, they're kind of trying to break the fiction a little bit just by the, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a deconstruction. So (laughs) I don't really want to get into the Batman should fund more social programs. Right. Can can we get into the gulag? Oh, that is, there's no way they thought that it is supposed to be bad immediately. Right. Like, and they even have like re-education. It, it's like Superman immediately turns into Joseph Stalin or something. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, it's so it's so bad. Like, we're gonna re-educate all these people by just locking them up away like, from everybody. Videos. <laughs> like, what? How does oh, that help anybody? It is completely wild. I, I was a little upset that. Mr. Miracle designed a prison when his whole origin story is that he was raised in a prison world that was like hellish and like hated him and he managed to escape and his whole deal is he's the best person at escaping because he did, he escaped from the worst prison in the universe and so he's like you know what I'm gonna make this and then it immediately gets breached good job buddy good job <laughs> yeah um there's some other interesting things about this that I kind of want to touch. I feel like we've touched on the central conflict. Mm-hmm. Have you? Did you notice that the Green Lantern was not Hal Jordan, was not Kyle Rayner, who was Green Lantern when this came comic came out? Oh, was not Guy Gardner. It was Alan Scott, who is the Golden Age Green Lantern, who is a magic Green Lantern rather than a science fiction one. I didn't notice that. Well, it's not because, super clear. Like, I don't think anybody called Green Lantern by a name. No, at any point. I and thought his his palace looked rad. I thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, that was very cool. But it was weird because I'm like, why would Alan Scott be hanging out in space? He's not really a space guy. It was apparently Alex Ross couldn't use Hal. Mm. He wanted to because again, this was this is very much one of those looking backwards comics. Right. But Hal was dead, and so they just didn't want to like highlight him, I guess. Even though right. it's another world. Also, the Flash is maybe not Barry Allen. Yeah, it's, that's it's kind the, of... the one with the helmet, who's Jay Garrick, who's, again, the Golden Age Flash. Right. But again, we don't really know, because he, he, like, zips between seconds or whatever, and you, like, barely see him. He's, like, fl- flicking around the entire time. This is a comic about the, the big three. Oh, uh, so much. 
Dick Grayson has a has a cool couple moments in this comic, but it, you almost don't realize it's Dick Grayson because well, because of the costume redesign. Yeah, he, he looks like Batman lost his ears. Yeah, and he's got like a little bird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mostly was just like, why why doesn't Batman have ears? And I'm like, oh wait, that's not Batman. It's not Batman. It's Dick. <laughs> Power Girl's in it as Power Woman. I was like, wow. Power Power Girl's always kind of been a grown up, so I'm like, maybe okay. we should maybe we should talk mm-hmm. about this. <laughs> There's also a lot of apocalyptic imagery that I feel like I didn't yes, go into very much. The beginning of like every issue, we have some, you know, like low. There is seven trumpets, and also, boy, they made the 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 new the new hotshot killer hero Magog, which is an incredibly biblical name. It was like so on the nose; it hurt. Can you explain for those of us that are less biblical, Magog? Okay, so in in the the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, Gog and Magog is like Magog is a land and Gog is an individual, and they're just associated with apocalypses. Like uh, in, in, you mentioned in Ezekiel. Okay, Magog so, might have been Turkey people. It's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it for, that doesn't what it is doesn't matter to our thing. It's it's very much it's like some very on the nose. Okay, for people who are much more scholarly, like Chris, it is very on the nose. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, you know a lot of like the Bible Belt kids who had to learn more about their Bible than us Catholics probably know quite a bit about it. Okay, that yeah. Catholics are like, eh, Bible, let's teach a little bit. All right, <laughs> go into other stuff. <laughs> this is why you're sinning. Um, <laughs> but that, that a lot of that really looking backwards thing is interesting to me. It is, it is like, he's looking, Alex Ross paints comics in a way that is, that, that is, that harkens back to these Saturday evening post sort of things. Yeah. He has this view in here of these heroes who are supposed to inspire hope and not fight amongst themselves. I, I do think to some extent the heroes fighting each other and not actually getting anything done is a critique that has remained valid in a way that a lot of this comic has kind of stopped being that way. Okay. Because it, it was very valid in the '90s, it was very, you know, it, depending on what how, what this comic gives to you. But it was it was it was a fresh reaction in the '90s. Mm-hmm. But to some extent, in the to some extent in the 2000s, that's kind of they got a little bit less that way. Mm-hmm. And I in like you know by like the time the Avengers came around, I know that the Avengers movies are a certain way, but I feel like they are very like good evil. Until later on when they kind of get a little more morally gray. Mm-hmm. The, the way they want to present it is there's good and evil as like a, so this whole like anti-hero like thing, it, it, it seemed like less pertinent as time went on. But boy, because I, Chris Edelman just gets sick of heroes fighting heroes all the time. That felt very like pertinent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like just, they're just, they're just street brawling because of it. Cause why not? Right. Yeah, um, that was fine. You know, then they have these that like really like on the nose jingoistic villain. Probably, it's not really. It's not said if he's a villain or a hero. American right. Commando. I would call him a villain, but because he's literally just a like a jingoistic yeah, racist. Yeah, but then he's immediately opposed by three robots who are called Red, White, and Blue, and you really don't know their deal either. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're. There were so many like new meta or metahumans that were new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't certain if any of them had any sort of backstory outside of this. Um, nope, if, if, very unlikely. 
So just seeing that rise of all of the metahumans and the, you know, the diversity of their moral compasses, because there's no guarantee that if you get powers that you are, you know, going to have the moral compass of Superman and right and, and right and wrong and all those things. And I don't know that just happening to have powers, you know, means that suddenly you need to be some type of moral standard for the world at large. Right. And that there are tons of stories that explore a what if like what if powers but real. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. There's a very popular Amazon show that I know you haven't watched. I watched the first season. There was a, a weekend you and the boys were out of town and mm-hmm. I watched the whole thing. It's based on a comic called The Boys. It's basically like what if super if superheroes were real, they would probably be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know how much I caught into that, but I don't know, like how many people in power in real life are good? Probably demo- very few. <laughs> so right, right. I, I get it. But this this is one of those that's kind of trying with that. And it tries to take, I think, a, a bit more of a lighthearted, but probably slightly more naive approach in general. I'm trying to think if, if we've really missed anything about this. I feel like it really just boils down to kind of the one thing about mm-hmm. like the, the, the somewhat non-existent conflict. Mm-hmm. Um the cool designs. Yeah. Some other things that I kind of wanted to touch on, I think, are asked or addressed in our Twitter questions. Okay. So it might be a good time to head on into those Twitter questions. Sure. Our first question comes from at Daniel P. Grote. When the kingdom came, did it bring a covered dish or at the very least a snack? I don't know if I trust the kingdom's cooking skills. I really hope they just bring something kind of nice and packaged that I could I could just dig into. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, maybe the chips, maybe the drinks. I don't know. I, I I would say you know after after reading the comic, it definitely didn't feel like a snack. It was it was a four course meal. Oh. You know what though? It's more substantial. I don't want them to bring any meat because I think it would be well done. <laughs> you don't want your chicken well done. I want my chicken done. <laughs> you you just didn't specify the meat, so I had to be snarky. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Our next question comes from at Play Comics Cast. What would be the best Taskmaster lineup you could make from the characters featured in I guess these in issues? Uh, I'm going to tell you that I've never seen a. Uh, Taskmaster. So, um, I usually spend time watching movies because I feel like I can get done with them quicker. Don't watch a lot of shows right now. Taskmaster is, uh, from what I understand, a British show where comedians have to have to like compete in teams or something to complete these. Like, okay, kind of so weird nobody because none of them are funny. It's DC. Well, but if they have to complete <laughs> tasks, I feel like just like I don't know, like the really strong, fast ones. Yeah, I mean, Flash. Like, what can't Superman do? Mm-hmm. Power, you know, Power Woman's there. Wonder Woman's there. We're good. If they need some really analytical thinking, you got Batman. It's all the DC characters. You can mm-hmm. do tons mm-hmm. of stuff. Don't ask parents about TV shows. We don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> you can even tell us, and here it is to watch, and we'll go, um, we don't have time. <laughs> Our next questions come from at Asimov underscore fangirl. Hola, which character would you have liked to see more in the story? Oh, like so many of them? Mm-hmm. I wanted to see more Magog. Is that weird? I feel like he had an arc and it just didn't happen. Right. Like, I feel like 
I feel like that story, the story of that conflict that led to the desolation of Kansas, like, could have been in the event. Yeah. Boy, they sure did rip up, rip up Parasite, though. I love Parasite. I can't find it. I had his first appearance once, and that was a comic from the 60s that I found at, like, a, thr- like a thrift shop. It ruled. It was such a find. First appearance of, of Parasite, and do not know where it is. That's so disappointing. It's okay. It was really ripped up. Mm. I didn't know who Parasite was. So he, he has cool powers. <laughs> he just he steals your powers. Mm. He's a great Superman villain because of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And next question: If Alex Ross asked you to be the model of a DC character of your choice, who would you choose? For example, the character Joker's daughter is modeled after writer penciler Jill Thompson. Who would I be? Who has a beard? Nobody. Not a single one. Well, who should have a beard? All of them. All of them. I don't know. Gosh, I'm just kind of, I'm a slightly out of shape guy who's roughly six feet tall. No, I'm not that interesting. Mm. I'm trying uh, to think. You're, you're, you're very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I have art of you as Superman. Oh, okay. So you think I should, be, I should, Superman should be modeled after yeah. me? I would kind of love, <laughs> like, Superman who has not had time to shave because he's been doing too much. Mm. I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. Superman-ish hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could deal with that. I don't have the curl in the front, but... Poison Ivy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and, oh, at Asimov Fangirl also says, happy vacations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Next question from at Brawl 2099. If you could get a guided tour of any fictional universe by the Spectre, which would it be and why? Uh, I would want the Spectre to take me on a tour of the Muppet universe. Oh, that Which is commentary just our universe, but with Muppets. would be fascinating. <laughs> Do you think the Spectre and the Phantom Stranger have to switch this stuff off? They're like, it's, I, I did it last time. Okay, I need a break. <laughs> we had both of them in... In uh, Final Night. In Final Night, They were yes. both in this one. Phantom Stranger was part of the Quintessence, that little weird group of people that hung out on a table in the sky for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Very notable moment that happened there. There was the bit where the wizard was like, oh, no, Billy Batson. He's good, though. He's just brainwormed. Poor Billy. He was brainwormed. Mm. That was sad. I like Billy Batson. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. like when they make him evil. Yeah. It happens like a few times and I hate it. You shouldn't do that to kids. No, he wasn't a kid. He's kid a grown up. He was grown I like that he just looked like Shazam so or looked like Captain Marvel. So when he transformed, he just kind of. Yep. It, just, was, it was the same. It was the same guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay fictional universe i don't know narnia just because i think narnia would be real fun to get a tour of it has nothing to do with the phantom stranger (laughs) did i tell you it took me four books of reading that after catholic school to figure out that it was an allegory oh really yeah oh that's cute yeah isn't it yeah it was after voyage of the dawn treader i was like wait a second (laughs) take you to the land of my father and I have a face that you would know in your world? Wait a second. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I got that on the first read-through. It's very dumb. Mm, okay. Um, all right. Uh, at JB Custom Kicks says, when are we getting a Kingdom Come movie? They also tagged Alex Ross. I don't know if Alex... Alex would know better than us, but we, we don't know. Kingdom Come Superman has showed up in... Um, there was like the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover TV thing 
they got Brandon Ruth to play him, who played Superman in the Superman Returns movie from 05. Mm. He even had like the you know like the black emblem. Mm-hmm. Yep, a little bit of gray hair. Why would Superman have gray hair after like 20 years? He's immortal. All right. Well, gray hair is very attractive, so I would argue for that reason <laughs> alone. You should just have it all the time as well, Christy. Yes. Thinks. You know, Reed Richards has the same hair, Christy. Let's go on. Next question from at Chris L. Glennon. Which new character did you want to see more of? Well, I guess we kind of answered this already. Uh, I kind of want A wanted- new character. There was one of the uh, new metahumans that kind of stood out to me. There were two, actually. But one was, uh, like, a lady in a bunch of, like, clown makeup that looked like sort of like a Joker. I think that was Joker's daughter. Oh. Do we... So is Joker's daughter, like, an established character elsewhere? Yeah, but kind of different. Okay. Yeah. So I would have been interested about that character. And then there was another um, character... A lady character that wore purple and had like a purple headdress, and I don't know. I I think all of these characters have names and small backstories that are just like established elsewhere. This universe has been has kind of been picked at a little more since. Mm, like, ooh, let's expand on this part and this part. Yeah, there's a JSA story where that's called the Kingdom, where that Superman. Oh, comes over. oh, yeah. So I I felt like. I just wanted to know more about all of those those new metahumans. I wanted to know more about like some of the legacies, like um I can't remember the character's name, but it was Barda and Mr. Miracle's daughter. She's just mentioned by name. I think it's like Avier or something. Oh. But I totally missed that. It, it it was not super clear, to be honest. Oh, okay. I just knew it because I'm like, who else would they be talking about? And then I looked it up. Uh uh. All right. And next question comes from friend of the show at Corey Marie 21. What was your favorite updated character design? The Superman with the black crest. I love a lot. You do. I think I like it with the S. I think it's cool. Mm. I wouldn't want it all the time, but I liked it for this. Uh, yeah, I guess for this it worked. I liked Orion because Orion just started to look like dark side. And I thought that was such a cool idea to make this guy who used to be kind of like a more like, live hero kind of look like dark side just just like slab of concrete and he right. just looks more and more like him and even like his his head looks more like dark side's head and his hair kind of looked almost like dark side's helmet mm-hmm. i thought that was like genius i didn't i didn't really know what was going on with the green lanterns outfit but i kind of liked it it was kind of armory yeah kind of like fun a transformer i wasn't wonder woman had several outfits but like her main like her day wear costume mm-hmm. that kind of had like a loin clothy feature to it. I couldn't decide how I felt about it. As opposed to the the kind of skirt thing yeah. that she has a lot of the time. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 but some of her other costumes like landed a little bit more. She had like a, a red outfit on at the end. Um, yeah. I, I liked that one. She also wore her golden eagle armor to, to do the big fight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's super new though. Yeah. And then how about favorite new legacy character? So help me out here. A new legacy character would be a character that was new in this that has continued since. Is no, that what that means? Just or- like, like how maybe, hmm, I don't think there were a ton of them. Like, like I said, the, the, the child of Miracle Man and Big Barda is kind of one. Okay. Hmm. See, I, I just don't know what new legacy character. 
like because it takes place in the future there are now legacy characters that don't exist in the present i promise i'm smart (laughs) (laughs) i still don't understand well, and I, I I just can't remember a ton of them, so I'm sure I'm sure Corey knows a million because a lot of them are like in a panel, and there they are. But like, I guess almost like he's not Batman though, so it's like Dick kind of looks like Batman. He kind of seems to be Batman-ish. So a legacy character who has some sort of new design in this, or a character that is that was new not a in- legacy before. It's like yeah, Wally West becomes the Flash. He is a legacy character. He was a new legacy character in the '90s. In the '80s, he was not a legacy character yet. Okay, so a person that's new to that role. Yes, there you go. Okay, I am going to say that I am very smart because I put that go in ahead. words that make sense. I don't know what you were saying. Sure. <laughs> So the legacy is the title, the mantle that's yeah, upheld. That's the term legacy character in comics for like Right. I thought like Laura as Wolverine is a legacy character. Okay. She's not the first so one. So in my it. brain, new legacy character meant like a new legacy, not a new character in the so, Okay. Words. Mm-hmm. I'm not editing any of this out because I feel like Words are important and people should understand them. So if I didn't understand that, somebody else might not have understood that. And I don't have an answer because I can't identify any new <laughs> legacy characters in this. You can't make me answer this because I can't read. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think that they use it in the way that, like, like you have a friend from college who's a legacy for, like, her mom was in the sorority, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of where it comes from. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you are Batman, but you are. There was once a, a another Batman. You're a legacy of Bat. You're a Batman legacy, right? But that okay. Yeah. Anyway, I, I. But but legacy characters or new legacy characters don't have to be relatives. They don't. No. They don't. No. No. Maybe I take over as Batman. Yeah. No, I don't want you to be a cop. <laughs> you could live in that mansion though. That'd be pretty sick, right? The mansion was destroyed in this. It wasn't this. He was just <laughs> hanging out in the basement. all right our next question comes from at big red underscore 13 if you could bring one of the new characters introduced in this series into the mainline dc continuity tv shows films etc who would it be well uh superman has been done Mm -hmm. um now this says new characters does that mean a character that has not that would be a character that hasn't appeared previously Probably, yeah. Or, like, yeah, one that appeared first in this. Mm-hmm. Magog. I just feel like he could have a cool arc. He might yeah. be in a movie that I don't know about or show or something, and that's fine, but I don't know. I would agree with you. I feel like if... I don't know if he's interesting, but I feel like he could have a he could have an arc. Give that guy an arc. I feel like of all the new characters, he was the one that had the most meat in this, yeah. so... I'm trying to think of other named characters who are new. There was Von Bach. But I looked up what Von Bach was supposed to be, and they're like, he's supposed to be kind of Nazi-ish. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, who's that ghost guy? The skeleton ghost? Dead man? Yeah. This is not his first appearance by far. Well, uh, yeah. You've seen him as a guy with skin. Oh. He just has, like, like chalk white skin. Oh, okay. But in this, it's like it, t- it takes place so far that even his ghost skin rotted away, which I'm like, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, at Robert Secundus asks, I guess my biggest question is why would anyone write this? Rob, not a fan of this, I guess. <laughs> and next question, what leads a person to script and then the pastor has to talk Superman down from murdering the UN? Yeah, we didn't delve into that a lot, but that felt wild. It yeah, felt like I, such an escalation. See, that was one of the things that I didn't delve into before because I knew this question was coming. It is... It is so wild. I, 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 I know it is like a purposeful storytelling decision to be like Superman is becoming the thing he hates, but I'm like, he was already doing bad things without that. I feel like that. Just, mm, I don't know. And the choice of who it had to be. It had to be him, not Wonder Woman, who is kind of, to be fair, I hate when they do that with Wonder Woman, but it is weirdly more consistent with the way she's written. There's like, she's, remember, she snapped Maxwell Lord's neck and that started Infinite Crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Batman, I don't know how he'd do it. What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, a bunch of bad drones show up. I mean, and I think that might be part of why... You know, Alex Ross wanted to tell this story. You know, what brings Superman to the edge? Wait, like, you know, Christy, we're all just we're all just one bad day away from being the monster. Oh my gosh, that's my that's my best Joker. Yeah, was it? Could you tell who it was? Yes, I, I knew. I I did know. <laughs> Got it. All right. Uh, at Austin Gordon asks if you could change the quote future date of any one character. Who would it be and what would they end up doing slash where would they end up being instead? Austin meant fate, not date. Um, He says below. Oh, oh. The the future fate, the the future character's fate. Oh, okay. Yes. What would it be instead? I don't know if Austin means at the start of the story or the conclusion of the story. I'm guessing the start because I felt like that had more of a status quo for more heroes. We don't know what mm-hmm. anybody does other than the uh, big three. I want Billy Batson to not be mind controlled by worms and Lex Luthor. Wouldn't it be interesting if they did like a, a Christopher Robin? He forgot the word because it's a facet of his childhood, as opposed to being an adult who is controlled and doesn't want to say it instead. Mm. That's almost like Miracle Man, which is a different story, but grosser. But I, I almost wonder if there could be like a growing up as Billy Batson and something about abandoning childish things, but then finding a balance as, as people often do. That's probably beyond the scope of this, but yeah, I feel like that's a different story. Yeah, but I kind of want to tell it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. that can be your answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. At Dan the McMahon asks, why did Alex Ross go so hard on all the designs? I, it's my favorite part of it is all the cool designs. Yeah. I yeah. almost I don't know what came first, the idea for this or just the cool designs, but. What would heroes be like in the future? I feel like could just be the jumping off point for all of it. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, at. Fazebian asks, how would your vision of a DC future look? Uh, probably less white than this comic. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's another, like, the, the looking backwards thing, and they use the, like, some of the Golden Age heroes. I'm like, that's a choice. Like, was you there... couldn't use Jon Stewart as Green Lantern? What was he doing? Was there any character that spoke that wasn't white and in this entire comic? Even all the wait staff at the restaurant was white. Me, it, 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 it's so few. If there were, there are like very few. Mm-hmm. I think there were some of the characters in the Human Liberation Front were not white. Like there, there was an there was an heir to to Rachel Ghoul. 
So that would oh, be yes. a character who would be Arab. Okay. Also, I guess it do, do you do you consider Vandal Savage white? It kind of depends on who draws him. Mm. Uh gayer. That it that that is Yeah, that needs to be a thing too. <laughs> Basically those two things. Um <laughs> The, DC recently had an event called Future State that was mm-hmm. another of these future things. And it just like, it took over all of comics for like one month. Mm. As opposed to Secret Wars, which was, you know, like mm-hmm. nine months or whatever. And it, it kind of tried to do that a little bit more. I haven't read a ton of it, so I don't know how well it succeeded, but there's a ton of legacies, but it is not like this where they are all messing up all the time. It's, it's just, it's almost like this, the status quo of superheroes generally trying their best, making mistakes at times. Just in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, and from what I understand, it is. But then they reverted back to some extent. So, okay. How much is it really changing? All right. This next question comes from at Zach Rabirov. What are each of you ordering from the DC superhero themed restaurant? And Zach says, I'll have the pastrami shazamwich on Perry white bread. First of all, I am judging you for eating a pastrami on white bread. A little bit. <laughs> it 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 worked with the- it's it's the pun. It's the mm-hmm, pun. Mm-hmm. And I'm kidding. For all of you people who enjoy your white bread, you have a lovely time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, now I feel like pressure to like have a good pun here. I want the Superman witch. Oh, yeah. I like that. I mm-hmm. like that. I think there would also be a fun layered drink that would be red, white, and blue. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would look like a bomb pop. It would be in drink form. Mm. What if there was something that was like a protein shake and it was called Truth, Justice, and the American Way? Oh, with W-H-E-Y. Yeah. yeah. You're so good at these puns. You're so good. I have such a hard time. I just am trying to think of a, of a pun for pancakes and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't got it. It's okay. I don't know. I just... I want the pancakes at the diner. Diner pancakes are pretty good. Yeah, they're delightful. I don't know. Maybe something flash fried. <gasps> That's pretty good. Yeah. You could get some cheese curds flash fried. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, there we go. That's the best They I just got. show up at your table really fast. <laughs> you don't even know who brought them. Love it. <laughs> you did good. At Mutaniter asks... How mind-blowing was the art? was my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you know about Alex Ross before the book? Yes. Yeah, I read him in Justice first. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of covers, I think, before I got to this. I didn't get to Kingdom Come for a while, but Justice was one of my early comics, too. Mm-hmm. And, and does it have an aesthetic legacy? I don't think anybody since him has tried painting to the same extent. I think you get some one-offs. Remember Secret War? Mm-hmm. The painted art there where, like... Is it inimitable? I don't know. I just don't think anybody else does it. Right. And I don't know why. I mean, it's a very specific style that, like, as I said, part of its appeal to me was it wasn't what was in my head as comic book. It looked more, it looked more artistic to me. You heard it here first. Christy hates comic books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have come to appreciate lots of different styles of comic book art. What, uh, what appealed to my highbrow senses at the time was, oh, well, this is fancy comics. <laughs> I'm a woman of charm and taste. I will not read these comic books. <laughs> Our last question. 
from at Big Dead Energy. Why doesn't everyone look like sweaty dudes cosplaying? I do think there were some sweaty panels. Like Shazam looks real sweaty a lot. Lex Luthor looks pretty sweaty. So you're contradicting Big Dan energy here? Yeah, I don't think he's fully correct, but also... <laughs> like Superman's ponytail? Oh, that's true. It's like my dad's hair. Oh, boy. Yeah, your dad's COVID hair? Yeah. My dad has a gray, <laughs> curly ponytail of COVID hair. I would have loved some people trying to just be slightly sweatier. I think that would have been fun. But I think that that kind of contrasts with the ideals of we can bring it back and still have it be the same. Mm -hmm. Maybe that could have been a a deconstruction, though. A little bit. They're trying to bring it back. It's a little sweaty. Mm -hmm. All right. That was a lot of questions. That was a lot of questions. Consider we posted that today. Great job, everybody. Good work. You really came through. See you next time. See you next time, Space Cowboy. Anyway, let's hit some accolades. Accolades. All right, Christy, what was your best line? Okay, so we know DC really doesn't bring the the quippy line. So I I, I didn't go for a quippy line I'm here. Crossovers, yeah. no, yeah. Um, I actually went with uh, one of Norman's lines from his uh, presumably like that sermon at the end uh, that the future, like so much else, is open to interpretation, and that hope is brightest when it dawns from fear. Huh. That's pretty good. I just I just kind of liked, you know, the the future is open to interpretation and the idea of of hope. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like especially coming out of COVID and <laughs> uh, and like a lot of the world is still very much not out of COVID. Not out of COVID sure. and just starting to feel that hope and after so much doom and gloom and you know, you see awful depictions of the future and, you know, maybe maybe those things may come to pass, but you still have to, you know, wake up each day with something to hope about, a little bit of hope mm-hmm. that, I don't know, maybe the, the fear of those futures can birth hope. And that, to me, is what the line is about. So it just felt kind of poignant and timely. Yeah, that's fair. Um, my best line was silly and quippy. It's when uh, Superman suddenly disappears from Batman's cave and Batman looks back and doesn't see him and says, oh, so that's what that feels like. <laughs> I did like that one. Yeah. I did. That was good. Um, who did you think the greatest hero was? This was a toughie, but I was like, I guess Norman, since I guess he's yeah. top stuff. Yeah, we got a daily double here because when push... Oh, yeah, hit it, Matt D. Wilson. Because when push came to shove, uh, you know, Norman was the one that had to save the day for whatever he's i mean norman is what in this the spirit of humanity mm. that humanity had to pull heroes back yeah i mean it's 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 hard to say anything else everybody else was like having morally gray moments blah 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 mm-hmm. coolest moment actually can i say mine first yeah go for your coolest moment at the end of issue one when like the bridge is about to break and the superhumans are fighting and don't actually notice all the people that are about to die and then it's just like whoosh, 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 and superman's got like a bunch of people like superhumans like grabbed and everything else is like fixed mm-hmm. that was cool i also like though that before he did this he took time to carefully dye the black part of his costume he's like let's just put a little bit on there people dying no they can wait 30 seconds (laughs) oh my coolest moment i gave um 
to when when Batman shows up at the uh, the what, what do they call him the liber no the mean li- or the human <laughs> that's a different thing right that's what I was about to the say mankind too. liberation something right the MLF wait is it also the MLF isn't it the MLF oh man you might be right because there's an MLF in Marvel for right right liberation from, right yeah. no yeah I'm pretty sure it's the uh, uh, maybe maybe I'm mixing things up um. <laughs> But when Batman shows up there and you're like, what? What's Batman doing? Wait, wait, Billy's all grown up and and that's why he looks like Shazam and he's mind controlled and Batman's really not doing a bad wrong. And like just the whole like, oh, wait, Batman's there to do good things and not to like join them. I was like, oh, yay. That's real cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very happy. (laughs) Everybody else probably saw that coming. But to me, there was lots of reveals. I was like... Oh, wait. So the Shazam, he looks the same when he's whether, you know, they're like, oh, we were all afraid of Billy Batson, you know, and that was just and, right. Right. I was like, oh, it was, he's just all grown up. And I was, God, the bit where Luther is getting him to just shave him, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to think about that. They make Luther like extra Trumpy in this. Mm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like. Maybe that wasn't. Maybe that wasn't on purpose. Extra Trumpy. Yeah, he just kind of looks like like a Trump figure. Okay, you mean like Trump is in the the name? Like Don, like the the former president. I didn't think he looked like that at all. Oh, okay. I kind of thought. I kind of thought they they tried to make it a little bit that way, just like a bald version. Oh, okay. Like I think at the time that this would was made, like yeah, no, I don't. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to edit that out. It was real awkward. We're doing the best at this. We're doing the best at this. Let's keep going. All right. What about your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? The the fact that a guy who decided to, like, be weird and jingoistic called himself Commando, like, of all of the names. Right. But also the, uh, the robots called Red, White, and Blue, like... I was like, I was like, oh, this is this is so silly for a moment of like extreme racism in comic books. Yeah, I I was not great. Also, then there were like some people mind controlling people, kind of a little bit too, at the same time. And I'm like, so are they saying bigotry is not real? I don't know. It was very. I, I I feel like like those several pages there just could have not been part of the comic. Yeah. There was a cool moment where Dick snuck onto their plane and beat him up. That was pretty Yeah, neat. yeah. Well, my Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to Luther for his particular method of mind control. I'm like, Which this guy, witches, witches, worms. It looks like little, like, caterpillars. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, like, a man with that much technology at his disposal, like, really worms? Worms is what we had to do? He said he took the idea from Dr. Savannah, who is a Captain Marvel villain, who's a little bit more, like, out there weird science-y. Mm-hmm. So, that, that, I, I didn't, that didn't bother me as much, but it's still, like, you know, like, it, it was very comic booky, and, like, like, they had to do the worms. Yeah. I mean, it, it was creepy. Yeah. But I was just, like, that and Luther, like, I, of course he would have to say he got the idea from someone else, because that's not a Luther thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. He would have just thrown money at it for a while. So next up, we've got our, our Key of C accolade, which we give to a moment that we feel would be enhanced by a musical number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what musical number 
would you be looking for from Kingdom Come? I think when they were introducing what all the heroes have done since, we could have gotten a fun montage. Mm. You know, you know the the Watchmen movie, which you have seen. Yes. How the one Long good ago. part from that movie was how at the beginning they did I, a montage to the t- I, please. I'm sorry. I'll start over. I just was losing my train of thought. I'm sorry. I, I'm not mad. I'm just wanting okay. you to finish your thought. You know how in the Watchmen movie, which I know you saw and did not enjoy, mm-hmm. there's one good part, and that's the montage at the beginning to the times they are a changing by Bob Dylan, and it just shows how the, what happened to these heroes. I feel like I, I kept seeing like something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted the uh, metahumans in the gulag to have a rebellion number. What if they would have had a self locked tango number? <laughs> <laughs> See, and I thought about that, but I, I it needed more. Well, I mean, not yeah, more more punchiness, more kind of like stepping out of the crowd and like these moments of you know the the slow build into the big coordinated you know dance number, almost almost under. I've watched the Newsies recently, so sort of like Newsies esque. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make a union, not sort of energy. Like we're gonna band together and overthrow. Oh, see, when you were saying band together and overthrow, I was thinking like like Red and Black from Les Mis. Oh, that you know that too. I just you know real real peppy and oh, so not like Red and Black. No, no. <laughs> That's fair. Just they they seem like they all had so much personality. So I feel like it's the number where the ensemble gets a few little solos before they have to fully ensemble. Oh, that would have been fun. Mm-hmm. So our next award is the Down with the Ship Award. Who do you ship does not have to be does not have to be romantic. Yeah, mine is definitely not a romantic ship. I mean, I guess it could be, but Norman and uh, the Spectre. <laughs> The Spectre is so worthless in this entire thing. I can't do anything yet. What? I wasn't going to do anything ever. <laughs> I I just, I kind of love that the Spectre had somebody to, you know, talk with throughout all this. A lot of times, I mean, the Spectre is normally pretty useless, but like, you don't get to see the Spectre, like, have a relationship with somebody else. He's not and- supposed to be useless either. He's the spirit of God's vengeance. <laughs> right. And I just like that one year after this conflict, he and Norman are still sitting down at a diner together and like hanging out like they're old buds now. Yeah, that's a better one than mine, which mine was Superman and Batman. They kind of snipe at each other in a way that reminds me of an old married couple. I love that we pointedly ignored the very pushed romance of Superman and Wonder Woman. I hate Superman and Wonder Woman romance. I like anti-ship that. Even like when it, there's times where it's been done for cutesiness for like a one panel comic, and I'm like, no, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like they even specifically killed Lois in this universe, so it's like he can't, he can't even be in Lois Lane, and I'm still like, no. <laughs> uh, all right, what about our goodest hit? Who did you give the, or what? What was the goodest hit in this comic? Alex Ross did a staging in a panel early in issue four where. Captain Marvel like clocks Superman and he flies at the at the reader in like a slight angle. Mm. And I thought that ruled. Mm. Yes, I think I remember that specific one. But I gave my goodest hit to something that story wise was pretty important. Oh. Um it was uh Captain Marvel uh, you know, punching the the the, the nuke. Yes. I, it was like uh, it was pretty cool art wise. You kind of see the 
like reactions and faces of all of the other metahumans that are fighting and then just like mushroom cloud and like you know it was this moment of sacrifice and like doing the like shazam 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 so it you know lightning bolts the i was like that's a, that's a pretty good hit i liked it I feel like it's unfair that Captain Marvel has all of Superman's powers, basically, but also can just shoot people with lightning bolts. <laughs> like, what? Unfair. <laughs> does he have heat vision, though? He does not have heat vision or there cold breath. There you go. The great equalizer. He's got the... His powers are all related to Shazam. It's an act... It's literally like an acrostic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the wisdom of Solomon, the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love is that they they definitely like started with some Greek gods and then we're like, boy, we sure ran out. <laughs> Solomon. <laughs> uh, oh, and that's 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 our accolades. That's, that's our, our that's our show. That's our show. <sighs> thank you to Zachary Hunter for requesting this one via Patreon. Oh, thank you, Zachary. And for now, we are out of Patreon requests. We're gonna have a round of voting, mm. and then. Possibly another Patreon request. My message to all of you, our patrons who listen to this, if you have been supporting for up to six months for those particular echelons, I have emailed you. I'm worried it's a, it's hit everybody's spam filter because I've gotten very few responses. So I'm just trying to, I want you all to be able to, to get the things that you've, that you've, that, that you've patroned us for, you know, that, that you've earned. So like, I would love it if you, if you would get back to me, I, um, especially cause we will never like ignore them completely, but there's, there's kind of a time frame that we want, that we want to do these in, or it will be pushed back even further mm-hmm. just based on kind of the way we have to decide things. You know, we, it's difficult to just suddenly pick a crossover and immediately record it. We need a little bit of lead time. So please, I will send some reminder emails with some, please get to me by this date. If you want it to be put out with any speed but check those check those spam filters check if it may i don't know if it would hit anything else but i probably wouldn't hit promotions but you know just check check uh emails from chris's on infinite earths because we have likely done so Mm -hmm. and if you want to be one of those patrons that gets back to us in a timely fashion you can head on over to patreon.com or uh, patronize us at ko-fi just for those one-time donations links to both of those are in the show notes if you would like to follow us on Twitter or Facebook, we are at Chris's Pod. And for those longer form messages or, you know, for your patron emails, uh, Chris is on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. You can rate or review us on iTunes Stitcher. We love those the best. If you are not able to patronize in one way or the other, that is incredible. It's been a little bit since we've gotten a review. We're it's coming been up since March. It is. We are coming up on episode 100, which I don't actually think we're going to do a special 100th episode. That's kind of not how we do things. We did the one. We did. It's fine. I prefer to just do a normal episode. We'll just say it. We'll be like an old married couple who after like 32 years or whatever goes, we we lose track of the numbers. We didn't, we didn't put numbers in the titles of the episodes. Boy, we goofed. I counted today. That's how I know. Oh, look at you. It took a long time to count. Yeah, probably did. Did you count your Chris time capers? I subtracted. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you readers. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.